You're listening to For Ama, an audio storytelling series about Namibian women and healing. Today, we start with the story of a woman in her mid-60s, remembering what it was like to grow up in Winduk during apartheid. In the story about love, revolution, and the old location, she explains what it means to heal during times of war. This is her story. I was born in 58. I'm told that I was born in the river. People call it today the Are bush, but it's not Are bush, it's Are Hangap. My mom speaks Ngukwe. People would say Damara. So we speak Damara. Damara means walking around. So the other people call us Damara, those people who are stepping around. And the language is really derived from nature. It's like the birds and the animals, the insect sound. It's the bird, the hootpecker. That's the hootpecker. But now the rest of the languages, I can speak. I'm coming from a dad who comes from Angola. I can speak Kimbundu. That's from my dad, Dati Chiwa. I'm born in the old location, but we were moved by by a plan called the Odendao Plan, which is a segregation plan, which is a divide and rule plan. So I was really born in the middle of that chaos and that segregation. There was a forceful removal. They were moved very unwillingly and forcefully without consultation, without repayment. They were given a a tin of beef, one beef and brown loaf of bread. People have been massacred because they refused to move. And so, so they were moved from a very unifying place. They made songs about the move force removals. And they would sing those songs. And there were elderly men who would really refused to the last. But then at the end, they had to move. And then it was occupied by white people at that time. Yes, they were moved. They were moved to where we are today, Katutura, a place where we will never find rest. When they were moved, it was now segregated. H for Herero people, O, V for Ovambo people, for the Damra people and N for the Nama people. Then they had G section. They called it Khamengda. So my dad was placed in Khamengda. So now in Khamengda, there is mothers who have loved South African men or Damra women with Kimbundu men. So that Khamengda was a real mixture of families. As we remove you need to carry a pass. When you move in town, you don't just move. You had to have a pass, and we were supposed to get out of the town at about five. After five, if you are found in that town, you're going to be beaten up. So up till this day, it's very rare that 
elderly people like me would go into town after five. It's just not there, you know. So you finish, the bus takes you back to your ghetto and that's where you stay. I must have been 17, 18, and we had boycotted the schools, and Agustinu was burned down that year. So we boycotted, and my dad says, you're not going to lay around here, lazy, lazy. You need to go and do something. So my dad was working as a, a tea boy in a company. So my dad got me a job with that other company. Two, three days, I work. Week three, I'm like, okay. I'm telling the person that I was talking to, I was just thinking it's just a man there. But meanwhile, I realized it was the boss of the company. So I said, look, if you finish drinking your tea, would you mind please put the cup just in the zinc and I will wash it. And then I said, and then for the ashtray, if you finish smoking with the ashes, I see you have the dustbin here. Just remove the ash and the cigarette bumps and then I will pick it up and, and then wash it. I was fired immediately. You said what, he says. And for me, I thought that was just just a real normal logical thing. How can you finish drinking? And you leave your cup there just for me to come and pick it up. And then meanwhile, he was like, who are you, Gaffer? You are supposed to do all these so shows. That's why we have appointed you. But I thought it was just good manners that you pick up things from the table and put it into the kitchen for those who would wash. But it was such a big insult to the man that he is just immediately fired me without any pain or nothing. So that was something that I looked at. And I said, hmm, so you can't speak to this color, any proposal, any suggestion of your mind. And that put me into revolution. I needed a platform to speak about this frustrating thing. So I must have been about 18 then, and I eventually had managed to join the Southwest African People's Organization, which was SWAPO. So for a long time, I worked in the party, and and I think it was at that moment that focusing, having relationships, and so I met this person and really very connecting beautifully. It was very important for me to have a companion that talks the same language and we go through the same things. And it was so, so beautifully deep for me. And so we even agreed that we wanted this child. And I was asking him, will you be there? Because maybe my being the women's organizer already. We were organizing ourselves as women and we were talking about our issues already, the whole question of women in the liberation struggle, our roles and responsibilities, that we are not to be taken only as cooking persons, but more worth uh, 
and giving ourselves to the struggle and the roles that we would play there. So I think he understood very well. He came from a Robben Island, also released. Must have been 85. After we gave birth to our child, separation was really coming. And um, then I gave, uh, I fell pregnant with our second uh, child. Um, and so we, we separated. And I think I was so devastated. Also, the party was also very much at a place where they were doubting some of us, the comrades, and accusing us of being spies. I didn't want to accept the reality that it is true that the party that I gave my whole life and I lost my job, I would be in prison, be beaten up, it doesn't matter, has done this to the very people that we as the youth that time were sending out to go into exile. How did they say now these people are spies? And then worse of it, instead of putting them together to come and hear them, they put them into the dungeons, they judge them, and some of them they killed. So that really has really put me to a standstill, frozen. And so after... I got very, very depressed. I gave birth to the baby, and so I was really, really out of my space. I didn't want it to be called comrade anymore. So that must have been my new, looking for my new identity. I would introduce myself. The old comrades, comrade, I said, I don't want to be called comrade. My name is not comrade. So until 1999, I never participated into any political activity. I never go to independent celebrations. I never do those. Also, I had to forgive my children's father. Uh, it really took such a long time. I, we could not talk. If we meet to talk, it was like fire. Oh, yeah. Fighting. At that time, he was put as the minister of tourism, he was a minister of what, and so I'd go into his office and say, you also betrayed us. This is what we were fighting for. I can't believe you are sitting quiet here in this comfortable office. Our people are still struggling. So it was those deep disappointments and really cause of pain. I, I had to bring out this new me. And so I spent 10 years working day and night cruising this country, educating communities about human rights, seeing individuals. And it was beautiful. I worked. It was satisfying me to go and work with the San community. As you remember speaking, I traveled all over in the country and I would do that. I think this journey has really opened up many things for me and making me look at issues not with a conservative eye but I think with a very critical eye looking at it consciously but also thinking about both sides of stories and also 
link to culture, and especially as a woman. All interviews were recorded with the help of Sister Namibia, 99FM, and the Alice Rowan Swenson Fellowship Foundation. For Amma was created, written, and edited by journalist and writer Amara Evering. Episodes were produced by Armand Jennings, and all narration is done by Lachia Halfiku. We thank all participants brave enough to share their stories on this platform. All stories told in this series are from real people telling their real stories. However, for matters of privacy and safety, their identities will remain anonymous. Rights to this series belongs to Amara Evering and the Alice Rowan Swenson Fellowship Foundation. This is for Amara.